All right, if you've got your Bibles, uh, please, Nehemiah 13. We've been journeying through Nehemiah. Quick recap, uh, the story of Ezra and Nehemiah go together. So if you opened up your Bible and then you saw Ezra and then a couple of pages on Nehemiah, um, in the uh, Jewish Bible, they were together. They separated later but because of two people that it's written about. But actually, they, the story goes together. Um, the story is God's people are taken out of their home country or their home city, Jerusalem, because of their sin. They're taken into exile in Babylon. Uh, they're there for 70 years. God softens the heart of the king. He says, I'm going to send you back to rebuild the temple. He sends back a group of people. They start rebuilding the temple. About 20 years go by. He brings back Ezra to bring some reform and teach God's people how to live as God's people. Um, he's there for a while. Um, Ezra uh, teaches God's people how to live. After that, they start looking at the walls. The walls are still in ruin. And uh, God's, God stirs the heart of the king again. And this time, the king looks at his cupbearer. Um, and he says to him, you look really sad today. And you've never been sad in my presence. What's going on? The cupbearer's name is Nehemiah. And Nehemiah says, the problem is this, is that the city, the walls of the city that my forefathers lived in lies in ruins, and how can I be happy when that's the case? And this king, he, his, uh, kind of, his heart leans towards that kind of thought, that how can your ancestors, the place where they're buried, how can it look so bad? And so he says to Nehemiah, you go back, whatever you want, you've got. He gives them money, he gives them access to the forestry. Um, Nehemiah goes back, and they rebuild the walls of Jerusalem in 52 days. Nehemiah stays there for another 12 years. Um, he's the governor of Jerusalem and the area around that. Then he goes back to Babylon for one year and he arrives back in Jerusalem in chapter 13. Right? That's where we are today. So it's right at the end of the story. It's an amazing story. It's a story of God's provision and God's goodness over a period of about 140 years. God providing for his people, bringing them back to the land that they were supposed to be in, uh, giving them that which they didn't earn, um, stirring the heart of political leaders to send their people back and pay for them to come back and then pay for the temple to be rebuilt and then pay for sacrifices and then pay for salaries for the, those who are serving in, the, in there, also to give leadership and authority to lead to those who are going back. It's an amazing story, except we find something different in verse 13. Things have kind of taken a bit of a, a shake, and they've lost their footing. These, uh, these Jews have lost their footing. This morning as I was preparing, um, a very interesting thing happened, or at least it was for me. Um, I was preparing, uh, just working through what I was going to preach on and um, sitting in the dining room, not in my study, so in the dining room, which is open plan to our kitchen. And uh, our bullmaster, Bella, was sleeping in the, the kitchen last night um, on her special mat. Um, and uh, so she's here, other mats in my home as well. So, so she's sleeping on the mat and um, I go in to make a cup of coffee and they're things that are really, they like make me feel weird. I don't know if you have those things. For some of you, it might be a spider. Uh, for some of you, it might be like just a touching something. It just makes you feel weird. Scraping your fingers on a blackboard, chalkboard. Some of you, I know I can see it already. You're kind of going, stop. Mine is the sound of like chewing and that licking sound. In my, I hate that sound. Um, and I think it came from one of my teachers who used to eat her food over our shoulders. And we'd hear this <coughs> over our shoulder, and it just completely drove me nuts. So this morning, I'm making a cup of coffee, and I hear over my shoulder the sound of licking. Lick, 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 lick. And I turn around, and my dog's licking her paw, which dogs do. And that's what a dog does. It's like obvious, you know. So Bella's licking her paw, and I looked. I said, Bella, stop it. And so she stops because she's really good like that. She stops. Only like that, though. No other. And then, so I go back, I turn around, and I'm still making the cup of coffee, and I yell, lick, lick, lick again. I turn around, I go, Bella, 
Stop it. No, but I've got to do it quietly because the family's still sleeping, you know, so I carry on. I hear the licking for a third time. This time, I just turn around and look. Bella stops mid-lick. <laughs> so now I want to laugh, but I, I don't want to turn this into a game because this is not a game. I'm the boss, and I said, stop it. So I turn around, lick, lick, lick again. I've just turned around, lick, lick, turn around. I'm imagining what she's thinking. She's going like, I don't know where that noise comes from. Uh, I don't know. Uh, well, it wasn't me. It's come from outside. It's outside. Uh, did you tell me to stop licking? I don't know. Because I don't even have front paws. They're underneath my armpits. I don't know. <laughs> and I realize that the story that we're looking at this morning is so much like that. God does these great things. I mean, I allowed the dog to sleep inside last night because it was cold. I did these great things. And then she still licks her paw. But God does these great things. For the people of Israel, they've got a track record of all these great things that he's done. And, uh, and then God allows them to live in that time. And it's hardly any time goes by and they're back licking their sin again. And you see it happening over and over and over through the scriptures. Where God does a great work for his people. And then it's hardly any time goes by. And bang, you find these people going back to lick their own sin again. And I realize it's actually not just the people of Israel. It's a modern-day church, too. In fact, it could be Sterling Baptist Church, too. It's us. It's you. It's me. We have a great time of worship in church on Sunday, and we walk outside, and we grab some coffee, and the thought in our mind of what God shared with us and that word that was shared and that testimony that was shared and that story of God's provision or God's healing, it, it, it's still warm in our ears, and we're in a moment, tempted to, or we do go back to lick our own sin again. That's the story of Nehemiah chapter 13. God had done all these great things, and God's people go back to lick their own sin. And the lessons for us that we can draw out of this warn us that when all is said and done, how's the condition of your heart? So we don't, as you know, we had a problem with the visuals, but here's the, here, you want a title, you're taking notes. When all is said and done, What's the condition of your heart? When all is said and done, Israel, when the temple has been rebuilt, when the system of, of sacrifices and all of that's happening in the temple, a new place to worship, you've got this new place to worship. When the walls have been rebuilt, you've got a place of protection. And people now know you because of your association with Jerusalem. The neighboring tribes are looking in and going, you live in Jerusalem? Maybe somebody said, oh, you go to Sterling Baptist Church? When all is said and done, what's the condition of your heart? Because these people had everything, but their hearts were still licking their own sin. And so we don't have time to read through the whole chapter, but let me just jump through it and, uh, and just point out some ways that Israel had uh, stepped away from God and their hearts had led them into sin. The first part we see in verse 1, where uh, Nehemiah says, on the day they read from the book of Moses. They're reading from God's word, guys, in the hearing of the people. And in it was found that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever enter the assembly of God. For they did not meet the people of Israel with bread and water, but hired Balaam against them to curse them. Yet our God turned the curse into a blessing. As soon as the people heard the law, they separated all Israel from those of foreign descent because what they'd done is they had allowed these people to come into the temple. God had said, I don't want those people in the temple. 
especially these tribes. And that's not because God's xenophobic. That's because, well, God loves nations. He wants the nations to come to him. But these especially, because they try to curse Israel, God said, uh-uh, they're not coming in. Okay? Sometimes God does that. I mean, we find it very hard to believe that God would do that. But sometimes what happens is that that happens not as a result of, it's not just an isolated story where God goes, uh, I'm going to pick some nations and then I'm not going to allow them in the temple. That's a part of judgment on those nations. So God says to his people when they're going to the promised land, he says, know this, I want you to go in and I want you to completely wipe out all the nations that are there. We read that and we go, man, isn't, is, God must be this bloodthirsty God. But God's not a bloodthirsty God. God says this. He says, I'm telling you to go in and do this, not because of your righteousness, but because of the wickedness of the people who are there. The reason why God tells Israel to do that is because that's judgment on those nations. See, these nations were sacrificing their children to idols. They were murdering people. They were treacherous tribes that lived over there. And so God says, you're going to go and I'm going to meet out judgment on those people with you. <clears throat> In the same way that I'm going to judge you with the Babylonians. And so in this case over here, this is one of those stories where this, these tribes were so evil and so wicked. God goes, enough's enough. You might remember the story of Moses while he's speaking to Pharaoh. And he says to Pharaoh, let my people go. If you read the story in the NIV, Pharaoh says to Moses, yes, the people can go. And, uh, and then the Bible says that um, Pharaoh hardened his heart. He, says, he hardened his heart. He said, no, I'm not going to let my peop your people go. They're staying here. And then there comes a plague. And then he says, okay, then they can go. And then his heart gets hardened again. It reaches a point right at the end where the, the NIV says this, and God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And then, that, then after that was the plague of the firstborn. That's it, done. It's like God goes, you're hardening your heart? Stop it, I'm going to give you a chance. Don't do it, I'm going to give you a chance. Don't do it, I'm going to give you a chance. Don't do it, I'm going to give you a chance. Okay, done. And that's what happens with this tribe. And God had said, don't allow these people to come into the temple. And not only did they allow them to come into the temple, but the high priest... He had given one of the rooms in the temple to one of these people, kind of like an office and a storage room. So not only don't do this, but the guy who's supposed to be leading the people is leading the people into sin at the same time. You see, this is, this is kind of where compromise comes in, when we, we allow foreigners into the temple. And it's not only allowing, don't get me wrong, it's not allowing foreigners into this church. This is not the temple, this is just a building. But the Bible says this, it says that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. In the New Testament era, there's no temple building. In the New Testament, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Singular, the Bible says. The Bible also says you, plural, are the temple of the Holy Spirit. If you're a believer, a Christ follower, you are a temple in which the Holy Spirit dwells. But the church is also a temple in which the Holy Spirit dwells. This is how we apply it back. Allowing foreigners in in the time of Israel, allowing foreigners in now. How do we allow foreign thought into our own lives? How do we allow, allow foreign thought to come into our church? How do we start to believe that what they're saying out there is right and we start to do the things of pagan neighbors? And that's what happens in our lives. Later on, it'll pick up on the Sabbath. Here's one when it comes to the Sabbath and how we allow those thoughts to come in. We've just accepted that it is okay for us to wake up at four o'clock in the morning go to work and work like crazy until 12 o'clock the next night. And that's normal. And actually, we brag about it. When people ask us, how are you doing? We go, man, I'm so busy. The last week, I've been up at 4 o'clock every morning and got to bed at like 12 o'clock at night. I've hardly seen my family. And people go, really? And then they walk away and they think, 
man, that person's got a good work ethic. Rubbish. That's not a badge of honor. They're terrible. We should never be working like that. God said, don't do it. Where did we get it from? We have allowed foreign practices to come into this temple of the Holy Spirit. Oh, that's what we've allowed. God says, I don't want that to happen. We need to keep those foreign ideas out. They must be out because I want to keep it pure. The second one that happens is in verse 10. Verse 10 says, I also found, I also found out that the portions of the Levites had not been given to them so that the Levites and the singers who did the work in the temple had fled each to his field. Here's what happened. God's word says that they need to bring the tithe to the, to the, um, to the temple. Right? God's people need to bring their, some of their treasure to the temple. And that was finance. That was sometimes the first fruit of their labor, uh, their, their field. It was the first fruit of their flocks and their, their herds. They had to bring that to the temple. And out of that, the Levites would be would be paid. That's how Levites would live. Some of it would be sacrificed. Some of it would be for them to live. And they would then, the Levites would then give that to the other temple servants who served in the temple as well. What had happened over here is Nehemiah comes back and he discovers that they're not doing that. That the people of God are not honoring God with their treasure. They're not honoring God with their finances. In fact, they're being dishonest and disobedient um, in their stewardship. So that those who were supposed to serve in the place of worship could no longer do their service. So now when you want to come and worship, can you worship? No, there's no one to help you in your worship. Can you imagine you guys all arrived in church today? And, uh, and when you arrived here, you're like, hey, so, hey, La, who's up in the pulpit today? And you go, well, no, we actually don't, we don't have anybody. And, and they say, well, you say, well, what do you mean? There's no, where's Matt? I mean, the guy's been off forever, well, surely. Like, isn't the guy not coming to preach at some point? You're like, no, 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 he's actually working today. We're like, I don't understand. He's supposed to be working. He works yet. No, no. Actually, you know, because, you know, as a church, we actually, you know, we use our income and our treasure for other things. Matt um, and the rest of the pastoral team have had to go get jobs elsewhere. Oh, yeah, so he's on shift. Oh, thank goodness, Anthea's here. Oh, no, actually, she's not here either, you know. So we're not even going to be singing, actually, we... Yeah, we, we're going to be doing nothing. We're just going to sit here um, for an hour and a half, and we're going to leave. Some people do that anyway, but we're just going to sit here for an hour and a half, and then we're going to leave. And, uh, and you go, well, what about Dane and Kerry? No, no, they're also on shift. We're able to get them a job you know, somewhere you know, at, at another business. You know? So they, they're on shift over there. Eventually, you go through everybody. You're like, oh, surely there's an RFM here somewhere. Surely. You're, no, no, no RFM is either. In fact, your kids have to sit with you in church as well. There's no one to do children's ministry. Oh, well, that's fine. At least we got a hot dog afterwards. Actually, no, that's, there's also no hot dog afterwards and no coffee either. And, and you go, well, how do we, who helps us in our worship? Who, who explains God's words to us? Who prepares us for works of service that God's word talks about? Who do we worship with? How does that happen? Imagine, well, that's what was happening in the time of Israel. You rocked up to worship at the temple and there's no one there because they had to go work somewhere else so that they could get income because the people were being disobedient. Nehemiah freaks out about this. He pulls the nobles together and he says, you can't do this. You can't do this. So he challenges them and then he challenges the people 
And then he brings people together and he says, this is how we're going to do this. And he fixes the problem and he puts people in place. And then he says this in verse 14, remember me, oh my God, concerning this. And do not wipe out my good deeds that I've done for the house of my God and for his service. Remember me, God. Remember me. I was so challenged as I read this. He says it three times. And then one time he says it, remember them, the guys who are evil. He goes, remember them because of their badness. No, remember me because I'm good. Remember me because I'm good. Remember me because I'm good. And remember them because they're so bad. I just thought to myself as I'm reading through that, if we, if I, you, we, if we had to stand before God, would we be able to with a clear conscience say, God, would you remember me for my good deeds that I've done for your good name? Or would we go, God, just give me some time because I've forgotten the good deeds I've done for your good name. I just need some time and then I'll remind you of them. How would it be? After all is said and done, what's the condition of a heart? Where is our heart? You see, when we don't honor God with our treasure, it shows two things. One, it shows that we, we're too, too self-reliant and too self-absorbed. You see, we're like, well, I'm not, I'm not putting my treasure into that. Yeah, I know God's word says I must give. Oh, well, I did. I threw in you know, a couple of rand into the bag. But I'm not going to honor God any further than that. I know the Bible talks about tithing. I'm not going to do that. I know God's word says I must honor him with my, with my, my resources, with my assets. But you know, I'm not going to help give lift to church. Or I'm not, you know, that person at, at the office, I heard that they needed something. I've got two. They need one. I'm not giving them that thing over there because that's mine. Because we're too sometimes self-absorbed. We're so self-absorbed. It's all about me. And, and, then, and then it becomes like, I'm not giving that because if I give that, if I feel God stirring me to, to, to tithe 10% of my income, I'm going to give 10% of my income, but then I won't be able to afford to do this. You see, what that means is that you're too self-reliant. You're relying on yourself for your income then. You're not relying on God. So we had this conversation with Nathan and, and Hannah a few nights ago, or weeks ago, and, um, and, and Nathan's he's in grade six now, so he, he's understanding proportions and percentages pretty well. Um, and, uh, and we're talking about tithing. And so he goes, okay, so my, my pocket money is like 100 rand. And, you know, uh, then that's 10 rand. I give 10. Yeah, that's 10 rand. Okay. So, uh, so then the conversation goes, he goes, Dad, um, what would happen if you're working and you earn like, I don't know, like 2,000 rand? <laughs> so I go, okay. Then how much would you give? He goes, like, would you give 200 then? So I go, yeah, you give 200. He goes, What? I mean, I can't remember the exact figures, but it was like thousands and hundreds. And Because I know when he got to that figure, it was way more than his pocket money, you know? And he's going like, what? So I go, yeah. And so, so Nate, what happens if you're earning like 100,000 a month? Because there's some people who earn 100,000 a month. He can't even figure that one out. I mean, neither can I, but he can't get that one. And he goes, would you then have to give 10,000 rand? And I can see him. He's like, so I said, yes, you do. So he's going like, that's a lot of money. I said, yes, but Nathan, 90,000 is a lot as well. And, and then it clicks. And I just thought, if a 12-year-old can get it. And he go, I said, Nate, it all belongs to God. And he said, you can keep 90,000. You just have to give 10. Oh, okay. Oh, oh, that's simple. But you know what happens when I go to 89, 89, 5, 90? Oh, no, I'm going to keep that. It's because I'm relying on myself. I'm not relying on him. That's not a guilt trip. I'm telling you what Israel did. I don't know what you did. I'm telling you what Israel did. The second one is this, is that when you dishonor God with your treasure, you also neglect the temple servants. 
You just do. We dream of being part of a church that can impact our city. That, that costs. That's what we dream of. You guys are generous. Okay, I want you to know you're generous. This is a generous church. May, may it never be said of us that we neglect that. But if we had to slip in to where Israel was, it would mean that we would be neglecting our treasure. We would be neglecting giving regularly to the Lord, giving faithfully to the Lord, so that more people can come to know him, so that more people can be equipped, so that more people can be restored, so that the kingdom of God can take more ground across our city and across our nation, so that we can inspire the nation more. That's why we want to do that. So they uh, noticed that foreigners, they had allowed foreigners to come into the temple. They were dishonoring God with their treasure. Here's the third thing that they were doing. They were breaking the Sabbath. Does anybody feel guilty as I'm going through this, just, this list? It's just, there's two of us. I'm going to work, Antoinette, I'm going to work so hard so that we get more hands at the end of this. I'm just going to hammer people from now. So they break the Sabbath. Verse 15 says this, In those days I saw in Judah people treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in heaps of grain and loading them onto donkeys and also wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of loads which they had brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them on the day when they sold food. I warned them. I, mean, I think it's like an under, you know, understatement because Nehemiah was pretty hardcore. I warned them on the day. I think it was way more than a warning. He's like, you're not doing this anymore. So, so here it is. Israel had rebuilt Jerusalem. They put walls in the gates, sorry, gates in the walls. And the reason why the gates were in the walls was for protection, but also to keep out the detestable practices of their neighbors. So on the Sabbath, you would close the gates so that no one could come in and do trade with you. They left the gates open. And so people were coming in. And I don't know how it works the first day. Does somebody come in and these Tyrians, they were selling fish. Do they, do they come in with their fish and they're like, I've got fish here, fresh snook, fresh snook. Anybody want to buy a snook, fresh snook? And all the, all the Jews the first day, they're going, ah, this is the Sabbath. No, we're not buying anything. No, it didn't work like that. You know what happened? The guys woke up and they were going, you know what? Snook bra today, that's going to be great. Let's go buy a snook. After all, we have to eat. You notice how they start justifying it? We have to eat. Let's buy, and so they start trading. And before you know it, the whole city's doing it. And before you know it, it's normal. And the merchants are coming in and out on the first day of the week, right through to the seventh day of the week, and it's normal, and they're not observing Sabbath anymore. Now the Jews are saying, we need money to buy these things. So they're also working on the Sabbath. So they're not only taking a break, they're working on the Sabbath as well. And God had said this to them. He said, you need to keep the Sabbath holy because it's my day. It's, my, it's not your day, it's my day. I'm giving you six days to work. You keep the seventh day for me. Here's how we allow foreign thought to come into our mind, guys. We have justified away Sabbath so much that our stress levels are in the red all the time. We don't know how to take a break. When we do take a break, our minds are still in the office. And so we have this time where we rest from our labor because we're so burnt out, but we never get a chance to rest for the next season church you've got to ignore the foreign thought that comes into our minds and we've got to come to that place where we start honoring god like this again so that you can be stronger so that your families can be stronger so that your marriages are stronger it's not a badge of honor busyness it's not see overworking means you either lack faith in god that he will provide for you or you believe that you're unbreakable that's it. 
You know, you know why I work like crazy sometimes? Because I, I believe that I'm unbreakable. You know when somebody comes to you and says you're working too hard and you go, oh, it's okay, I'm fine. That means that you think you're unbreakable. And I do it and you do it. We do it. But we've got to stop. After all is said and done, what's going on in our heart? Yes, it looks great, great buildings. But Jesus isn't going to say to us one day, you know, so you went to Sterling Baptist Church? Great buildings, I loved it. That coffee afterwards, it was brilliant. And in the hot dogs that we got over there, that guy Wayne, I have a special bra for him over here in heaven. It's just, it's awesome. And the gardens, they were landscaped so well. Just loved it. The only thing I hold against you is the parking. That's it. But that you went there to that church, come in, he's not doing that at all. No, no. You tell Jesus one day, I was a part of that great big church. He goes, all right, after all is said and, said and done, what's the condition of your heart? Did you love me with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength? Did you love me like that? That's what he's asking. Great guys, great, great reputation in the city. People looking and going, great church. People were looking at the city of Jerusalem. Great walls. Their God must be great. The reputation of the, of the Lord their God is going out into the nations. But what's the heart condition of these people? As you see, there's a problem over here. Fourth one was this. They'd be marrying foreigners. Verse 23. Uh, in those days, I also saw the Jews who had married the women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. Here's a sad scripture that is a result of this. And half their children spoke the language of Ashdod, and they could not speak the language of Judah. You say, so what? They learned the language of other people. No, that's not the point. They could not speak the language of Judah. Do you know what that meant? They couldn't read the scriptures. They couldn't. Their kids were coming into the worship community and not having a clue about what was being spoken about from the front. They didn't understand when the priests were talking about sacrifice and atonement and the goodness of God. They didn't get it. They didn't understand. They couldn't understand when the scriptures were being read. And so what about your family and what about your children? Do your children understand the language of faith? Are your children understanding that? Parents, are you, are you passing on faith to your children? Because what had happened over here is they had married foreigners and become one with foreigners and they're thinking. And so those foreign ideas were infiltrating their home. Now, you have to hear it. God is not a xenophobe and neither are we. So don't interpret this in any way to think. Matt has just said that you cannot marry foreigners. All right? That's not what this is about. What it was about is this. They were taking on the gods of the foreign nations. That's what was happening. And they were failing to pass on faith to their children. That's what was happening. It doesn't matter who you married to, as long as they know Jesus. I know I shouldn't share too many stories about my kids. Because they told me not to. But I'll share this one with you if you promise not to share it with anybody. Okay. So we're having a conversation over the supper table one night, and there's this one kid who's in um, Hannah's class, and uh, we just love him to bits. And, um, and Hannah tells us, uh, I, I think this boy likes me. So <laughs> I put down my fork and pick up my knife. Uh, and, uh, and we go, why? So I said, why do you think he likes you? She says, because he's always trying to kiss me. <laughs> so this was young in age group. It was like kissing catchers type stuff. So I'm like already, I'm carving. 
a hole in the table with my knife. So I go, so but now I want to know who my anger needs to be aimed at. So I said, uh, and for sake of the conversation, I won't use the name. So, uh, so I said, who, who is this boy? So she says something like, Sithle. So I said, okay. And Nathan, he's eating, and I can check he just stopped straight away. And he goes, Hannah, I don't think you can do that. Yeah, he, okay, if you're not sure on the story, Sithle is black, Hannah is white, and Nathan's going, I'm not sure if you can do that. So I'm going, brilliant teaching opportunity right here. Yeah, this is better than any sermon ever. This is it. So I go, Nate, why? And he goes, like, I don't know. Can you ma marry people of different color skin? Can you do that? So I go, well, why not? What would, what would? So he's going, eventually it reaches the point where he's like, well, I don't know. Are they, are they, they, that, there is no good reason that I can come up with. So I'm going, okay, that's dealt with. Then I go to Hannah, because now I realize there's this little boy. Okay, and I don't actually care what color he is or how big he is. But this little boy is in deep trouble with me. <laughs> Fortunately, I'd read an article a couple of months before, and it really shaped my thinking. I said, Hannah, here it is. I don't actually care how big he is and how small he is. I don't care what color his skin is. I don't care whether his hair is curly or whether his hair is straight. His straight. I really don't care. All I care about is this. Does he wear his pants around his waist, or does he hang them down <laughs> on his knees? And number two... Does this boy love Jesus more than he will love you? Because that's it. That's it. And, and I'm telling you today, and you can hold me accountable to this if you want to. The day my daughter gets married, I don't actually care what color he is. I don't. I don't care what economic class he comes from. I don't care what his job is. All I care about is this. Does he love Jesus more than he will love her? Because if he loves Jesus more, my daughter's going to be okay. This is not about xenophobic relationships that God's word is talking about. It's about mixing your faith with the faith of outsiders and failing to pass on faith to your children. That's what it's about. That's what it's about. So some of you are here and your children don't know Jesus. And you're thinking, man, we did a terrible job. And what, as Matt's speaking now, I'm feeling really guilty about this. No, no. This is not, this is not a guilt trip. This is going, now you know how to pray. So, so pray about your children. Pray for your children. Some of you are here and you're like, my wife's not here. My father's not here. My parents don't know Jesus. I do. That's, my dad married someone who's of another faith. My mom married someone of other faith. Some of you are sitting here, you're like, I'm a Christian and my husband might be a Muslim. What does that mean? Have, he says, no, now you know what to pray for. And we're going to pray together as a church on that. That's what we're going to do. Because that's what grace is and that's what the gospel is. If you're in a relationship heading towards marriage and that person does not love Jesus more than what they will love you, Perhaps you should consider just holding back a little bit here. Fourth one. That was the fourth one. I'm done. 
So after all is said and done, here we go. Let me give you a couple of pointers over here. One, be careful of times of blessing. Because in the times of blessing, that's when Israel slipped up. They didn't slip up in the bad times. They slipped up in the good times. When everything's good, when the finances are rolling in, when it looks like there's massive blessing in our homes, those are the times when we forget the Lord. So be careful. Beware the time of blessing. Two, beware the scent of sin. You know, like your two-year-old, you like, they walk up to the car, don't touch my car. Okay. My dog, stop that. As I turn around, stop. Me? Me? Somebody else? Here's what the Lord's Word says about it. Listen to this. But among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of impurity of any kind. Not even a hint. Not even a hint. Are you flirting with sin? Stop it. Stop flirting with sin. Third one is, beware the dilution of truth with deceit. When you have to start to justify what you're doing, when you know it's wrong but you're justifying it, you've crossed the line. You need to put that into reverse and you need to repent. And you need to come back to the Lord and you need to say, God, would you forgive me on this one? The Bible says in 2 Corinthians, if you're taking notes, 11 and verse 14, no wonder for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Be careful where truth and sin and deceit start to blend itself and then you start to try find truth in that. You can't because it's not truth anymore. Truth doesn't have some deceit in it. Truth is truth. In fact, the best lie is 99% true. That's the best lie. Fourth one is, beware the enjoyment, and this is where we might, as a church, beware the enjoyment of a gospel community while ignoring the gospel itself. I so enjoy being part of Sterling. But you're ignoring the gospel. You've never repented of sin. You've never, you're not living a life that brings honor to Jesus. But I love coming to church. I love singing the songs. I love hanging out afterwards and having coffee and having a toasted sandwich. And I love my small group. But you're not allowing the gospel to transform your life. After all is said and done, what's the condition of your heart? Do you know what the beautiful part of this is? We don't have to walk out here feeling condemned today. Because the gospel, the gospel is a story of grace. Where God sent his son Jesus to do what we can't do. Because I don't know about you, but when I read through this, I go, God, but I can't do this. God, I, in my own strength, I do try to work too hard, God. There are times where I don't feel like passing on faith to my children. There are times where I love the ideas of the world that I live in. I need you to change my heart and that's the gospel that I would repent of my sin and that God would change me from the inside. He changes me. I don't, I don't try to be better. He changes me. Forgiveness. Grace. You feel like you're slipping in some of these areas? Seek out grace today. Ask God to come and change your heart. This is what Ezekiel says. I'll close out with this. God says, I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove their heart of stone and I will give them a heart of flesh. It's a heart that feels and beats for the Lord. That they will walk in my laws and keep my rules and obey them. They will be my people and I will be their God. Hey, SBC, 
after all the great things that God has done for us, the great facilities that we have, the great stories that we hear God doing through our ministries, after all is said and done, what's the condition of our hearts? What's the condition of your heart today? Let's bow our heads. As I ask you that question, would you just take a moment and reflect on that? And Perhaps today is a place of you just coming before God and confessing sin again and thanking Him for His forgiveness. If you know Him, if you don't know Jesus, you've loved being a part of church, but you've never given your life to Christ. Would you call out to Him today? Just ask Him, Jesus, would you save me? I'm going to choose to trust you for salvation today, not myself and my, my good, good things that I can do, but... But God, I'm going to trust you. I want to repent of my sin. I don't want to go back to that stuff. But God, in me, there's this still longing for sin. Good, would you come and change my heart? Would you come and stir my heart? Would you take that stone heart and would you give me a flesh heart? God, help me to understand grace. Ask him to come and fill you with his spirit. To give you a new spirit. Father, as we close out this morning, after all is said and done, Lord, may our hearts belong to you. May our hearts be in our treasure that is you. And would everything else come second to that? Father, for those who called out to you today and those who still are, Father, I ask in Jesus' name, may today be a significant turning point, a significant junction in their relationship with you. And so, Father, I pray, would you bless your people and keep them? Would you make your face to shine upon them for your glory, wherever they work, live, and play? In Jesus' name, amen.